Well, it is fantastic to be back with you this morning. Um, David's given me a passage uh, to preach on in, uh, in the book of Samuel. I understand you've been looking at the life of David over the, the summer. Um, so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn to 1 Samuel and uh, chapter 17 and it's verses 38 to 51. You will all know this story. David and Goliath. I'm going to read it to you. We're kind of starting halfway through the story. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. So the battle is the Lord's and he will give all you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that the hero was dead, they turned and ran. King David is an interesting character. I had to spend a whole term at college this last week looking at the life of David. It's really interesting. It's not the Sunday school story you expect. God's anointing fits where worldly armour fails. I have a genetic problem that's been following me around my whole life. It's plagued generations before me and was a particular problem around school uniform shopping time. Getting trousers that fit properly has been a bane of members of the Cawthorn family, my maternal side, for so many years. Each trip to the shop is the same. They don't fasten at the front, they stick out at the back, they ride up too far or too low. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, actually the issue applies to you, doesn't it, as well? I know I'm not alone in this issue. Some of you out there have no idea what I'm talking about. 
because your body fits into the standard sizes that are available off the rack. But others of you, you know the pain. I see there's some nodding going on. You know the struggle that is trying to get a pair of trousers, a pair of jeans that fit. What I hate most is with well, one year you go into a shop and uh, the jeans fit perfectly. And then the next year you go back and the same pair of jeans, the same size, it doesn't fit. Why? Why do they do that? Why do they make those changes? Do they, make, they think that people magically just change size over the year? Do they think it's funny to keep us on our toes, having to traipse around the Queen's Gate, going into every shop? Some of you feel my pain. The story of David and Goliath is perhaps the most well-known of the life of David. It's taught in Sunday schools across the world. The spotlight is usually put upon the battle between the giant and the plucky young lad that is David. But today I want to focus instead on David's wardrobe. Because in the story, David has a bit of an issue. Verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around, because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. Worldly armour is a poor defence in the battle. Imagine the scene. You're standing in the king's tent. There are a lot of unshaven, sullen-looking men around you. They've been camping for weeks. They haven't washed properly. They smell and they're dejected. Every morning during their conflicts, they were insulted, sworn at, shouted rude, dejected words. They've been rejected through the taunts of their enemy. And every tea time, it's been the same thing again. You look around at the once proud men, ones who are known as the army of God, and you start to wonder, along with them, where their God is now. They once held being the army of Israel, Yahweh's army, as a badge of honour. Yet now it seems a badge of abandonment. You look at the king, aged in years, lost, broken. His face seems tormented. He was the one who was asked for. The people asked for a king, like the other nations. Someone to lead and champion them, to rule over them. Samuel the prophet came along and anointed Saul. However, the anointing seems to be lacking of late. It seems to no longer rest on him. Like it's being stripped away. He is a shadow of the king he once was. A shadow of who he was meant to be. Goliath, the enemy, is shouting away outside. He is great in stature. A giant of an issue. And the king looks so small in comparison. He looks like any other king facing the end of his life. Facing the end of his kingdom. Facing defeat. He looks worldly rather than holy. Worldly armour is a poor defence in the battle. There is a rustle, and a teenage lad is brought into the tent. He is different to the others. He is young, he is confident, he is hopeful. It seems he is anointed. There is something of what Saul once was in him, but somehow different. Something holy seems to surround him. 
I will fight the giant, he says. But you're but a boy, mocks the king. I have fought the bear and the lion. This Philistine is no different to them, boasts the lad. Then his tone changes. He has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the pad of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Except he doesn't say Lord, but, but speaks the name of God. He invokes the name of Yahweh, the one true God. He speaks with authority, like one who is chosen. The air is filled with electricity. You could hear a pin drop as all eyes are on him. There is something different about this lad. It's like he's wearing something that radiates from him. All eyes turn to the king. He looks up and says, Go, and the Lord be with you. The king then gets up from his throne, and all except the boy kneel. He stands tall. The king approaches, signals his armour bearer, and Saul starts to dress the boy in his own tunic, and all the armour of a worldly king. The boy staggers under the weight. He tries to lift the sword and shield, but they are too heavy. The breastplate limits his movement. He turns to the king. I can't wear this worldly armour. It doesn't fit. It isn't me. It's not who I am. I am not used to wearing the armour of the world. The Lord delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Worldly armour is a poor defence in the battle. Because the world's armour and the world's defence, it leaves us vulnerable. As David mentioned earlier on this week, thousands of young people across the country have received their GCSE results and a couple of weeks ago, uh, more received their A-level results. For many, it has been a good time getting the results they wanted, receiving the places at university or college that they were expecting, celebrating with family and friends. Our society makes a big deal out of exams, and, and rightly so because the amount of effort and energy and sheer grit that goes into taking them is, is amazing. Each and every one should be commended for some, however, it will not have been such a good time. For some, they will not have received the grades they want it. For some, they are having to re-evaluate what the future they thought they were heading into looks like. The impression that is given is that with good grades, that's what matters. Getting the top grades is what it's all about. When you get good grades, you can wear them like a gown of success. When your grades are not so good, it can feel like a shroud of failure. The world tells us that academic achievement is the ultimate prize, the best protection for a sure, certain future. If there are young people here today who have done well in their grades, congratulations. Well done. Be proud of what you achieved and, and who you are. If there are any who haven't done so well, don't worry. You don't stand alone. Take a look around this room. There are people here with all sorts of educational backgrounds. 
Some have been to university and some haven't. Some have succeeded in business themselves and others work for giant corporations. Some have had to graft hard every day and some have just sailed through. None of us go through the battle of life the same way. But the clothing of achievement that the world tells us we must wear will not protect you from the giants of the world. The most educated people can still be made redundant. The healthiest people can still fall ill. Those who look the most secure in life can be hiding behind a screen of insecurity and uncertainty. When you're 16, 18, 21, grades can seem to be the armour that will prepare you for the onslaught of the world. But the world's defence leaves us vulnerable. It's not just when we're teenagers though, is it? If we're honest, each of us hopes to dress ourselves in the clothing of success, wealth, security, happiness. The world tells us that health, wealth and prosperity is the security of the age. Yet none of these are guarantees. Some of you will remember the 1978 fireman strike. I wasn't around for that one, but I do remember the 2002 fireman strike and the green goddess fire engines of the Army, Air Force and Navy that were drafted in. Well, there's a story that goes that on the 14th of January 1978, the army was called out by an elderly lady in South London to retrieve her stuck cat. They arrived with impressive haste. Very cleverly and carefully, they rescued the cat and they were started to drive away back to their station. But the lady was so grateful that she invited the squad of heroes in for tea. Driving off later with fond farewells and a warm waving of arms, the same cat ran out in front of the fire engine <laughs> and met a rather ironic end to his life. Sorry. I'm not sure if the failure there really belongs to the firefighters or the cat. The security for the cat came in the form of the firefighters that, that they were there when there was a situation. They were there in the moment of need. For the firefighters, their cunning success in making the rescue gave them hero status. But by the swish of a tail, their status was switched to that of the villain. I believe there are people here today who are walking around in a facade. You believe that the success, the structures of the world will be your protection in a dangerous world. The problem is we live in a world of giants. Giant issues who come to attack us, come to consume us, come to harm us. And where do you turn when those giants come? What do you wear? We dress relying on ill-fitting armour to see us through the battle. Ephesians 6 verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The trouble in this world is that our world's defence leaves us vulnerable. The world is so focused on being its own master that we are so focused on being our own master that just like Saul, we have pinned our hope on the armaments of man and not of God. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world. 
and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in a spiritual battle. Yet. Yet God's anointing fits where the world's armour fails. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David speaks with boldness. And confidence. David speaks with the anointing of God. I wish I was there to see it. The way the story is recorded in the book of Samuel makes David into a great wordsmith, confident in who he is. And at some level he was. See, David becomes a great warrior, a warlord, some might say. But in this moment, he's a teenage boy standing before a giant of a man. By all rights, he should be trembling, his voice breaking. But what the author of Samuel wants to see is that, wants to say, is that God's anointing there, with God's anointing there is strength. God's anointing fits where the world's armour fails. You come against me with sword and spear. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That name is David's anointing. It's what stands David out from Saul. Saul has forfeit his anointing. If you haven't already read read Saul's story, then look back and see some of the mistakes that he made. But David stands in the name of the Almighty. He stands in the name of Yahweh, the powerful name of God revealed to the Israelites through Moses. He was their God and It's in his name that the battle will be won, not Saul's. The God of the past is the God of the present. He will prove himself faithful in the anointing he pours on David. David's hope is not in the armour and defence that Saul wanted to surround him in, but in the power and presence of the one true God. God's anointing fits where the world's armour fails. And so we come to the battle. David walking towards the giant. David is focused. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. He looks at, the, at Goliath and he sees the lion, sees the bear. He has been here before. And in his heart, in his mind, in his soul, he knows that the Lord has been there with him and will be with him there now. He is wrapped in the anointing of Yahweh. The giant is starting to come towards him. There is power and anger in this man. There is destruction and murder and bloodlust. David takes a deep breath and reaches into his bag. His fingers touch a stone. His fingers know this texture. He has chosen these stones because he knows what they are. He knows what they're capable of. His hand grasps it and pulls it out. Breathing strong, deep breaths, he closes his eyes and takes his sling. 
the giant comes towards him. But David can only hear his heartbeat in his ears. His focus isn't on Goliath, but in the one he knows. I am. The burning bush that Moses encountered lives within David. He puts the stone in the sling and round and round it goes. David opens his eyes, looks upwards and at just the right time, he releases it. Up and up it goes and finds its mark, striking into the head of Goliath. David's anointing fits where the worldly armour fails. An impossible victory for one living clothed in the world's defence. But for the one clothed in the anointing of God, all things are possible. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. And God's anointing fits where the worldly armour fails. Anointing in the world defends against the giants of the world. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10 verses 2 to 5. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If Paul were to come here to Bretton Baptist Church today, what would he say to you? Would he look at you and tell you that you are standing in the anointing of God as you go into the world to do battle with the giants that walk around this land? that infect, that terrorise, destroy lives and futures. What about you? What about your life? Because you don't have to stand in fear. You don't have to be afraid of the giants. Not if you stand in God's anointing. Now God is not anointing you to be king like he was David or an apostle like Paul, but every Christian is anointed with the gift of the Holy Spirit to stand firm in the battle. You know today if you are standing in the anointing of God or not. If you're not, my question is, why not? Because it is there freely given for you. If you're not, my question is, why not? It's the whole reason that Jesus died for you. Jesus was God with us. Jesus is God with us through his Holy Spirit. Jesus died to pay the ransom of your life. Died for you. Jesus was God with us. God's Spirit anointing on our lives is God with us. Jesus died to make a way so that all in the battle of life would find a possible victory. But a certain victory. A certain victory, guaranteed in the blood of Jesus. 
So today, do you stand in the anointing of Yahweh? Do you stand before the giants of the world, whatever they may be for you? Do you stand and laugh or or stand and cry, but do you stand together as a church, as one body, anointed? The Lord our God, the Lord is one. God's bride is one. Father, Son and Spirit, they are our armour. Anointing in the world defends against the giants of the world. It's funny, I look back and just over a year ago, I last stood here on a Sunday morning before we moved to King Sutton the next day, I preached a sermon on the armour of God. And one of the things I've learned this year is that there is no word in the Hebrew Bible for coincidence. I really think that this is a word for you today. I don't know if this is for the church or this is for individuals. But I really want to encourage you to stand in God's anointing today. Because I believe God is saying that you are like David. You might look, feel small. Might feel insignificant. Might feel young. But God wants you to know that with his anointing on your life, you can face down giants. I think God wants to do some anointing today. Some of you feel that there are giants on the horizon. Some of you feel that there are giants. Maybe you are already seeing them. Maybe the giants in life are already there. Maybe they're, they're coming at you. And you're looking at your armour. And like Saul, you know, you feel that you are not equipped. You feel that it won't protect you. Some of you are looking out and know that God is calling you to fight for him. I don't know what that might mean. Perhaps some may be looking at a new ministry, something to get involved with, some new initiative. Perhaps you've been asked to do something in church and you're unsure. Or maybe you just don't know. You need to come back and ask for God's anointing on your life again. I think God wants to bring a fresh anointing on you today. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And I think with David, we're going to just wait on God for a few moments and, and see where God wants to lead us. But I do believe that last week, there was a load of people that came for anointing. And me and David were just talking before the service. And maybe we felt that that wasn't the end of it. Maybe God wants to do more today. So uh, we're just going to wait on God.